All right. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Love in Christ, a podcast, a show where we encourage you to find spiritual and financial balance in their life through the abundance grace of God. On our podcast today, we have Mr. Brian Robinson, who's a certified public accountant and also known as Infamous CPA. Mr. Brian has, has become a successful entrepreneur who owns rental, who owns a car rental business. He sells courses and online. Sorry, we saw over. So sorry. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Welcome Christ Podcast, a show where we encourage you to find spiritual and financial balance in their life to the abundance grace of God. On the on the podcast today, we have Mr. Brian Robinson, who's a certified public accountant and also known as an infamous CPA. Mr. Brian has become a successful serial entrepreneur who owns car rental business, sells courses online, and owns multiple real estate properties as well. And today we're going to talk about how Mr. Brian managed to be successful in different industries. So thank you for being here, Mr. Brian. Man, thank you for having me, man. I'm super excited to have a dope discussion. So, yeah, let's hop into it. That's good. How are you doing to start off? Man, I'm doing well. Um, this week was really, really busy, but a lot of growth was made, a lot of progress was made. So no complaints on my end. That's good, that's good. So what was your first business adventure? Like I mentioned, you're in like a lot of business. Which one was your first that you stuck with? So uh, my first one was actually in college. So I got an internship with this company called College Works Painting, and they essentially allow college students to manage their own exterior painting branch in their hometown. So I was literally hiring a team of individuals to go door knock, door to door, to get people interested in getting home estimates, uh, exterior home painting estimates. And from there, um, that was my first business venture where I'm driving from school, an hour and a half back home every weekend, you know, door knocking, um, talking to different people who want to get home estimates. And that business did 25 grand in about six months. So that was my first business venture. And that really helped me grow into the person I needed to be because before that I was really shy. I was really reserved. I lacked a lot of self-confidence, but that business really, really gave me a lot of confidence because I was able to sustain those successes very early because I was only a sophomore in college at that time. And is that program still around? Yeah, it's still around. It's super, super competitive. Um, but yeah, it's still flourishing. So after after you got through um, with the painting, then what was the next step for you once you graduate college? Um, how did yeah, you once go I graduated, once I graduated college, my focus was mainly being becoming financially literate because all throughout college, you know, I didn't really value financial literacy. You know, I made do with living check to check and of the source. Um, I racked up a ton of credit card debt, made a bad car purchase my senior year of college where I purchased a brand new car, uh, which put me in some debt with a very, very high car note. So I was paying 385 for my car note and then about 115 a month for insurance. So I'm paying $500 a month for this car. And at the time in college, I'm only making, come on, my dog is like <laughs> jumping on me. <laughs> come on, chill out. Um, but at the time, I'm only making like a thousand a month, so half my income per month was going to my car. So once I graduated, you know, I focused on reading a lot of books on financial literacy so that I, I can actually manage my finances appropriately because I got a job working for one of the big four accounting firms. 
So I needed to make sure that I had the financial knowledge to be able to flourish. So I read The Rich Dad, Poor Dads. I read um, Richest Man in Babylon. I read a ton of financial literacy books that helped me basically changed my mindset from that of a poor mindset to that of a wealthy mindset. And then from there, started budgeting, um, making sure I was really, really paying attention to where my money was going. And then I started focusing on increasing my income as well. That's great. So I like the fact that you said you started reading books to help change your mindset. So how important would you say for the audience that listening to change your mindset from poor to rich? Man, that's like the foundation. That's like number one. Because ultimately, you know, many of us who come from low-income backgrounds, we tend to take whatever mindset that those around us have and that those who um, those who help us... Come on, dog. What are you doing, man? <laughs> He's definitely distracting me. But um, we kind of take on the mindset of those around us and those we grew up with, especially those who came before us as far as our parents, uh, grandmothers, cousins, uncles, whatever, so have you, right? So if we never really look back and see what positive and negative influences we've had and how they have affected our money mindset, then we'll just keep repeating the same cycles. So for me, it was all about realizing, you know, what bad habits I picked up and then reinventing myself so that I have my own money mindset instead of those that came before me that wasn't necessarily working because we were still, you know, living check to check, uh, living in poverty. So that's like majors really laying that foundation because without if you don't believe you can do it you won't do it and then if you don't have that knowledge then you won't you won't do it because you don't know you really don't know what you don't know so you got to make sure that you're seeking that knowledge because school isn't going to teach it i don't care what level you're on it's just not going to happen to the level that you needed to so you really got to actively pursue that education piece otherwise you probably will be stuck in the same situation as everyone else that's great. So how did you go from being a public accountant to now a successful serial entrepreneur uh, in these different industries? So um, as a CPA, you know, I still worked heavily, heavily on the side. So literally every day after, you know, going from uh, eight, to, eight to five or whatever, I would go to one of my mentor's properties who he flipped houses and I would help out from like seven to like 10 every single day. So that's why I gained a lot of real estate knowledge. And in addition to that, I will be running my car rental business as well. Um, and then at some point I acquired my first building and then uh, I will be renovating that um, or managing a renovation with that as well as once that was over with, I would be managing the tenants, uh, doing all the property management myself. So I really had to focus on time management because I was super, super, super busy. And then, you know, being a public accountant, we have busy seasons. So typically from January to sometimes all the way to June, we're working 60 to 70 hour weeks. So at those times, time management was really, really crucial because I didn't have a lot of time to actually run my businesses. And the first year that I did so, I definitely had some issues. You know, I was exhausted all the time. I didn't really have time, but luckily I had some pretty good partners in the car rental business, as well as my credit business and some other ventures. So they were able to shoulder most of the responsibility while I was super, super busy. So that really helped me out. That's good. So um, I definitely want to talk about each of your business. So how did you get started in the car rental business? 
and how can someone get started in the car rental business? Yeah, so for the car rental business, it all started where I was looking to buy my first property and I wanted something turnkey because I was afraid to do any type of renovations. But in Chicago's market at the time, it was a seller's market. The market was super, super high. So I knew that I wasn't going to be able to buy something turnkey because the price was just going to be way out of my budget. I didn't want to overextend myself. Um, so I took a break from looking for properties. And then one of my friends introduced me to the car rental business. So we partnered. Um, and actually, before we partnered, I wanted to test it out myself. So looking back on that $500 uh, monthly expense I had for my vehicle that I wasn't using because, you know, I'm working 60, 70 hour weeks. Like literally getting to the office at 8 a.m. and I'm getting home at you know 11 a.m. or sometimes up to 3, 4 a.m. So I'm never using my car. So I figured you know I'm gonna rent it out. And my first rental, I put it on a hire car, which is um, a platform where Uber and Lyft drivers can rent vehicles. That someone rented my car the first time for 36 days, and I made about twelve hundred dollars. So I profited about $700 just on that trip alone if you take out, you know, my car note and my uh, insurance. So that was my first introduction into the car rental business. And then three weeks later, I bought my first car. Um, and now at this point, um, I, the most cars I had, I got up to 18 vehicles. But now I'm starting to scale back because I'm really starting to focus on real estate. But my car rentals are still flourishing as well. So if someone is interested in getting into the car rental business, it's pretty simple, actually. But I, I really kind of relate it to real estate because it's simple, but it's not easy, per se. So it's a lot of management involved unless you get a good team around you. But it can be done. And I've had a lot of students have a lot of successes. So at the first step, you got to realize what you want to do, because there's two different ways you can do it. Um, it's multiple platforms. The two most popular are Turo and Hired Car. So Turo is going to be more suited for people who want to uh, just rent cars for a weekend, maybe for a prom or something of the sort like that, or maybe for a vacation, whereas hire car, as I mentioned, is more suited for Uber and Lyft drivers. So I lean more towards hire car because the demand was higher and you have a higher likelihood of getting a long-term renter because those individuals want to utilize the business or the vehicle for business purposes you know they want to drive uber and lyft they want to make money so if they get a good vehicle they want to have it as long as possible to continually bring in income but with turo um turo is great as well but you won't have more long-term runners so it's going to be less passive and more of an active management um so if you want to make that more passive you'll have to put some systems in place so that you're not the one that's handling the frequent pickup and drop-offs of the vehicle. But um, to get started, it's typically about $1,500 um, if you're financing a vehicle. So let me just give you an example to help people understand a little bit easier. So my first vehicle, I spent about $10,000. Uh, typically, banks, they want about 10% down for the down payment. So your down payment is going to be like a grand. And then you're going to have to get insurance. So insurance typically requires a down payment as well. Let's say that's about 150. In addition to that, I typically recommend individuals to get an LLC because you want to be a business. You might as well structure it like a business as well. So depending on where you are, you know, in Chicago, that's about 150. Um, 
So now you're up to 1300 In addition to that, if you're doing hire car, you're going to need a Uber and Lyft, a Uber and Lyft like review, where essentially you go to like a Jiffy Lube or, or mechanic and they basically sign off that this vehicle meets the Uber and Lyft requirements. Um, that's only about 50 bucks. So now you're at 1350 And then um, in addition to that, there's some additional things that you can grab. Um, in Chicago, we have like city stickers that we're required to get. So that's another like a hundred bucks uh, to get us to like to that four. 1450 mark but not every state or city requires that so yeah that's kind of where you get to that 1500 but once you acquire the vehicle all you're doing from there is taking some really nice photos for marketing purposes posting on the platform creating the description for the video and then you just got to make sure that you're pricing it right uh so renters will actually rent it and that's something that I talk about in my course as well, how to analyze the vehicle to make sure that it's meeting whatever your minimum monthly cash flow threshold is. Because I always tell my students, you know, you have to make this business worth it for you, especially if you're going to be active, if you're going to be active in the management of the business. Because some people may see, you know, $300 a month in cash flow from one vehicle, and that may not be worth it for them. Like for me, my minimum was $400 a month. Um, so you really got to understand why you're getting into business, how much you want to make, um, and then how you're going to meet that. So that's something, that's all things that I talk about in the course, but yeah, that's a basic overview of how to get started. Um, but the big thing is really the management of the business, because you got to understand that these, these are vehicles. This is not a rental property. You know, there's regular maintenance that has to be done on these vehicles. And if you don't take care of your asset, it's not going to take care of you. So that's really, really, really important. So that, that's definitely great. Um, so you prefer a higher, um, higher car over Toro. And that's correct, right? For now, yeah, but I'm actually about to start on Turo in the next couple of weeks. I got a Toyota Corolla that I'm about to throw up on there. Um, but I think I may I may be transitioning to Turo. I don't know. Turo, their platform has come a long way. And I like the fact that, you know, drivers have ratings. Um, owners have ratings. You become a super host. Turo is more like Airbnb than hire car is. So, I'm gonna try out Turo and I'm gonna see I'm gonna see what's to it and hopefully it all pans out. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm gonna move away from hire car mainly because the car is just being used so much and I don't have um, I don't have time to really keep up with the upkeep even though I have those systems in place. Plus with Turo, you sort of have a higher chance of bringing in a little bit more income, but it's more work included in that. But if I have people in place to do that for me then it shouldn't be an issue. So yeah, I'm gonna try out Turo and I'll definitely be letting everyone know my experience with that. All right. Um, something that I like that you is like you have in almost all your business, you have some type of partnership also where it's not completely on you. I don't know if you want to, um, could you explain how you go about building partnership into business? A lot of times partnership in business is not the best thing a lot. So how do you go about strategically partnering with different people and different businesses. Yeah, so at first it was really a trial and error thing because, you know, getting a good partnership is really tough and you don't really realize that until you get into a bad one. So I had a couple bad partnerships that really didn't pan out, but now I have a kind of different 
perspective. And I think first and foremost, you really got to evaluate the core values of that individual um, because they need to be aligned with yours. And not only that, not only their core values, their work ethic, because, you know, people on the surface, they may seem like they have a certain kind of work ethic, but you don't really know until you get in business with them. And I think being in business with someone is, man, that's one of the the easiest ways to really figure out how a person is. So it's, it's, it may be a trial and error thing up front, but all you really can do is have your contracts in place, you know, your operating agreements, things of the sort, and really, really make sure you try to do your due diligence to the best of your ability to make sure you won't get screwed on the back end by having a bad partner. Uh, something that is also very important is to have established roles and responsibilities. Because if you just, you know, have an operating agreement and you say, we're just going to start this business. Now, when it comes to certain tasks in the business, you don't really know who's going to do them. And if neither person is taking initiative to get things done, or if one person is the type that takes initiative and the other isn't, then, you know, the management of that business is going to fall more heavily on that one individual partner. But if you have established roles and responsibilities, then you'll know exactly who's going to be doing what. So there won't be any questions. There won't be any confusion. And that'll just help make the business run a bit smoother. Um, but I always tell people just related to, you know, if you ever had a nine to five, just related to how that business operates. You know, once you get, when you get hired, actually before you get hired, when you look at that job listing, it lists out all your roles and responsibilities. So it's really clear and then, you know, once you get on the job, they lay that out even more thoroughly for you as well. So you're not really ever confused on what you should be doing. Um, so take that same approach when you have your own business and you have partnerships or you have employees. Make it simple for people um, so you make it easier on them as well as yourself. That's good. Um, so one question I have um, in regards to Toyota High Court. Is it possible to do it in every city? Um, I know some city may be saturated in terms of how Uber and rental cars is. So is it possible to do it in every city? Yeah, most cities. Um, I, I can't say every city because I, I know higher car operates in most of the 50 states, but it really depends on your city and your state. So I give you an example like New York City, they have very, very tough restrictions on ride sharing. And that's mainly because, you know, even before Uber and Lyft came around, they always had a huge traffic problem. So now if you think about the influx of vehicles that they have when Uber and Lyft came about, now their traffic problem is even crazier. So they had to put laws and procedures in place to kind of limit the amount of sharing, taxis and things like that in New York City. So you really want to get um, knowledge your city also in how big Lyft or how big is you know, Toro in your city. So both hire, hire car, you can just call them and they'll basically give you a market analysis and tell you where's the best part or best place to list it that's near you. And in Toro, they have some ability as well. But then now I'm also um, use this uh, company called CarSync. So CarSync is really big on the metrics. They'll be able to actually give you an index of where you should list, 
what vehicles are doing best in your area and at what price point. Um, so that is super, super helpful as, as well as they help with management of the business by sending out, you know, automated text before the rental, after the rental, uh, checking in throughout the rental. So that's really great for the automation purposes of making sure you're staying in contact with your renter. Uh, so those are just a couple of ways that you can continually make sure that everything is running smoothly in the business. And also making sure you're not just buying a car without doing your proper due diligence and your market research, because that's super important. If you don't want to buy a car, you know, maybe like in the suburbs of Chicago where there's not a lot of Uber and Lyfts, and then you're wondering why you're not getting any bookings. It's because nobody really rents um, frequently in the south suburbs of Chicago or the suburbs of Chicago, depending on where you are. But if you move your car location closer to Chicago or downtown, then you're probably going to see much more frequent bookings. So if someone does live in New York City, wouldn't, wouldn't this high car tour wouldn't work out for them? I do have a couple of students that, that have had success there. But now I just tell people, like, if you're close to Jersey, I would say just, just go to Jersey um, because it's just easier. It's less regulations, less money up front because New York City, you got to get all type of additional licenses and things of that nature. So it's just more of a hassle thing, um, but it can be done and it has been done. So it really depends on what you want to do and where you want to do it works best for you. Okay. That's great. So how did you get started in real estate? Um, as I mentioned before, you know, I really, like, once, you know, I'm trying to get more financial literacy, I got really, really interested in real estate. And I guess real estate was something I always wanted to do, but I didn't really know it. And I think my interest in real estate first started that, um, that paint business because, you know, once I became a, a business owner in the painting biz, time I'm driving, you know, I'm looking at homes, just looking at homes, looking at homes, looking at homes. And it made me really appreciate architecture as well as just real estate in general. Never really knew I wanted to do it until I started reading books. And every talk about state was a big driver of how a lot of people became millionaires and billionaires, right? And yeah. I realized that everyone is in the real estate business, you know, everyone just is on the right side of the business. Most people are paying rent, is collecting rent or paying interest to the banks or paying the mortgage to the banks, collecting interest. Um, so once I realized that, that's when I began to, you know, reach out to my mentor, visit his properties, do a little work myself to just learn much as possible and really just be a sponge. And then um, I bought my first property. It was a two unit with a finished garden unit, which is basically a finished basement, but that had a separate entrance. So it was essentially a three unit. And I did what's called house hacking. It's super popular right now where I lived in a basement and I rented out the other two units. So my mortgage was covered as well as, you know, my property mortgage insurance or my private mortgage insurance. Um, my taxes was covered. All my expenses was covered and I still profited $300 a month. So on the flip side, before I had this building, I was paying about $1,200 a month in rent. So now I'm not paying any rent, not paying any utilities. And on top of that, you know, I'm profiting $300 a month. So 
I basically was able to save and invest additional $1,500 a month from that one was huge for me. Um, and just to break down the numbers for you guys, I purchased that property for 140K. I put about 52 grand into the renovation. So I was all in about 192K. Um, and then, you know, I stayed in it from, what was that, September of 2019 to December of 2020. And I sold that building and I profited about 75K uh, on the sale. So if you add that to the $1,500 savings over the, uh, what was that, 15 months that I was living there, you know, I profited over 100K just from that one decision. But now I'm doing it all over again. I have two flips that I'm doing right now. Um, so those are coming along and they'll be on the market in the next probably two to three months. So I'm looking, really looking forward to that because this is a seller's market. Um, so those are going to be some some nice some nice checks that will be coming my way soon. So I'm looking forward to it for sure. That's great. That's great. But what are some challenges you, you face managing multiple businesses at once, whether it's real estate or the rental properties? How do you manage the challenge that comes with it? Yeah, man, it I, it's really tough. Like, I'm not even going to lie to you. It's tough, um, especially being one person. It's really, really tough. So the challenge really is giving enough attention to each business because, you know, I think I got to a place where I was stretching myself too thin. And that's why I'm starting to scale back with the rental cars, kind of reducing the number of vehicles in my fleet and focusing on quality rather than quantity at this point. Uh, I mean, I'm doing the same thing with my businesses. You know, I used to have a podcast, but I, I scaled back and um, I don't do that anymore because now I'm just focusing only on revenue generating activities. So the challenge is, yeah, just giving the attention to each different business. So now that's why I always recommend to people, if you're going to do something, focus on one to two, three max, three max things um, and give them all your attention. Because, you know, once you get more than three, it really becomes tough. And now it's, it really becomes tough to give 100% to each and every business. So that was the major challenge for me, um, especially while I was working a nine to five. Because now I'm losing, you know, 10 hours a day, eight hours on the job, and then about two hours on the commute. So I'm losing 10 hours a day to give attention to these businesses. So now... I only have, you know, a four or five, six hour window once I get home and I to work on each individual business on top of that. Now, if I want to work a little bit later, because now I have to stretch myself a little bit thinner, I'm giving up my sleep. And then in addition to that, now if I want to work out, now I have to get up at the crack of dawn to get to my personal trainer. So now I'm missing out on more sleep because I have to focus on my health as well. So I think that was the huge challenge is like managing all these different businesses, managing your nine to five, making sure you're eating right, making sure you're working out consistently, and also making sure you're giving, you know, the attention to your loved ones and putting in time for the things that you love to do outside of that that's not tied to revenue. So, you know, I love, I love volunteering. I love, you know, riding my bike. Um, I love playing basketball, like things of that nature. And a lot of times it's super easy to just get one track minded and focusing on business and let everything else slip to the wayside. Um, but I did learn that, you know, I really got to be selfish 
Um, and if I wasn't selfish and that right and really focusing on myself, I wouldn't be, you know, where I am today. But a lot of people look at being selfish as a bad thing. And I look at it as a good thing because being selfless or being selfish is kind of like self-care. Because at the end of the day, you know, the better you are as an individual, the more you can actually add value to those around you. But I think a lot of people, you know, who come from my type of background, they've tried to help others too soon and they end up hindering themselves, you know, giving loans to family members and things of that nature and never getting the money back. Like in the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey, you need every dollar, you need every dollar to reinvest back in the business. Otherwise, your business is not going to grow and it's not going to be able to sustain itself. And that's why they say 90% of businesses fail in the first couple of years. And the main reason is because of lack of capital. Um, so if you're if you're that type of person where you feel bad, because um, a lot of people have, I forget the exact term, but it's like the people who become successful, they have some remorse. Uh, they feel bad. So they always try to give back way too soon and they just end up hindering themselves in the long run. So I always tell people like, I know it's going to feel weird at first, but you got to be selfish and you got to take care of you first. It's just like being on an airplane, right? They always tell you to put your mask on first before helping others. Because if you're messed up, you can't help the person next to you. And then it's just a domino effect if everyone tries to set, take that same approach. That's great. That's great. That actually was my next question. How would you advise someone to get started into the entrepreneurship journey? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first step, you really got to figure out your why. Like, you really need to understand what's your purpose on this earth. Um, and for me, that was just simply to serve, simply to serve and help others. So everything that I do is tied to providing a service to help someone else. You know, a lot of people look at the car rental business as just a revenue generator, but I look at that as an opportunity to serve because ultimately I'm giving Uber and Lyft drivers the opportunity to bring in additional income for their families, whereas they may not have a vehicle or they might've had a vehicle and they may have had, may have had a, a major repair that needed to happen and they couldn't fund it. So now, you know, their whole income stream might've went right down to zero, but now I'm giving them an opportunity to rent a car to keep bringing in that income. Then the same thing with real estate, man, you know, as a landlord, you're giving housing to someone, especially since, you know, I primarily invest in the hood. I'm giving them a fresh rehab, you know, it's safe, it's secure, and it's affordable luxury. Um, and now, you know, when I'm mainly focused on flipping, now I'm taking the bad house on a block and turning it into something beautiful. So now when kids are walking down the block, they're not seeing this abandoned, boarded up house that's that may be, you know, affecting their subconscious. They're seeing the neighborhood increase. And not only that, they're seeing someone who looks like them do it. Uh, so I think that's major. So the first thing, you, you really got to find your why. And then from there, you got to figure out what you want to do that's also going to be tied to bringing in revenue. Because a lot of people focus on their passions up front, which I don't think is the right way to go. Because ultimately, you got to focus on the profit up front. Because the profit is going to ultimately fund your passions. So... I think my number one recommendation to someone right now um, is to get in tech. Like tech is huge right now. It's a lot of people making a killing in tech. 
even if you're not necessarily interested in it, you can, you have to learn to be able to thrive in something you're not necessarily interested in. Um, and that's what really worked for me. I think, you know, even as a public accountant, I didn't get accounting, get in accounting because that was something I really wanted to do. Uh, I always loved math, but, you know, once I got into accounting, I realized everything is automated. You know, you're working in a sale, you're doing like that. You're not really doing a ton of math. So I noticed that, you know, being an accountant was the, was really one of the best ways to get into business because accounting is really the language of business. And I knew that in order to help my family out financially, I needed to be able to understand these financial concepts. So that was my main reason for being a CPA. Um, and yeah, I just advise everyone to focus on the profit up front and then let that fund your passions on the back end or major in the profit generating, um, major in the, if you're going to college, you know, major in a major that brings in the most profit and you can minor in your passion. Uh, so you have something to, you know, fall back on once you're ready to really dive into your passion. So that was, that would be my main tips for getting started as an entrepreneur. I will also add that, you know, a lot of people think they're in maybe the car rental business or the real estate business, but nine times out of 10, they're in two different businesses. They're in the people business and they're also in the problem solving business because that's all entrepreneurship is. There's going to be tons of setbacks. There are going to be tons of problems and you got to be able to solve them. And you have to be able to be in the mindset that, you know, just because you have these problems doesn't mean that you're failing because it's really just a part of the process. And I'll tell you, you know, in real estate, once you're flipping properties, like I have at least <laughs> five to 10 problems a day. And if you're someone who gets down when you're having problems or it's not going your way, you know, that's really going to affect your mental, which is going to affect your performance. So you got to realize that problems is just an opportunity, you know, to really just solve them. It's just an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to learn something new. Um, and you have that mindset and keep that mindset, then you can do very well. Because, yeah, you're going to deal with a ton of problems. It's just, it's unavoidable. <laughs> That's great. So how do you deal, especially with the mental, um, I, almost, I don't want to say headache, but the, metal, the mental thing that comes with being an entrepreneur, like getting your mind right. So how do you consistently, you know, I get overwhelmed. Yeah, for me, man, I really just started try to stay grounded. You know, I'm listening to podcasts every day, filling my mind with you know like-minded people who are doing much better than me, getting their thought processes, getting their uh, take on certain things. In addition to that, I always make time for the things that help me with that aspect. So one thing that's huge, man, is working out. Like a lot of people think working out is solely for the physical benefits but it's really huge on mental. Like it's just huge on mental because you're pushing yourself to become better. Um, and a lot of times for me, when I'm at the gym, you know, I'm in my head a lot. Then if I have anything I'm frustrated about, I take that out at the gym. So on the flip side, you know, when you have someone who's going through a lot of different things and they're not able to release that stress and release that frustration, then it begins to build and build and build up. So going to the gym is something that works for me a lot. Um, also, doing the things I love, you know, riding my bike, I made it a priority. So now I have a bike club where every Sunday, um, if the weather permits, we ride. Um, and 
So working out, riding my bike, just figuring out what works for me. You know, I learned that I really get a sense of peace when I'm near water. So I always ride my bike near the lake when it's possible in Chicago. Um, and then just making sure I'm giving time to the people I care about most. So spending time, you know, my grandma, spending time with my mom, uh, my dad, my girlfriend, and, you know, my fraternity brothers and other friends. Just making sure I'm around people who don't bring additional stress to my life. Because that's something that's important as well. You know, um, just making sure you're building a community that adds value and doesn't take away anything from you because yeah, you know, a lot of people they they bring stress. So you got to make sure you know if you're doing a ton of different things, you don't have time to give energy to stressful people in stressful situations. You really don't. Uh, so you got to try to avoid those at all costs while also maintaining you know all your relationships that you value most. That's great. That's great. So where do you see yourself in the next five years as an entrepreneur? As an entrepreneur, um, man, I want to have a thriving, a really, really thriving real estate business. My goal by the end of 2023 is to make a million dollars a month at that point. Uh, so that's really what I'm striving for, you know, in real estate and the digital space, probably mainly real estate. Um, and then I also want to invest mainly in some businesses where it's super passive. So one thing I'm looking at right now is um, Walmart automation, where it's basically like an Amazon marketplace. Um, excuse me. Whereas you're basically just selling different products. Um, so I'll probably invest in a company who will just manage that entire process for me. And then I just, you know, pay them X, Y, and Z or, or share of the profit. Um, and then they just scale it from there. So really just investing in different businesses where I just have equity and it'll be mostly passive. So that's really the goal for me. Um, I'm not really, I'm in it for the money, but more so I'm in it, I'm in it for the freedom because I want to be able to move, you know, wherever, whenever, without really having to think about it. So then I could really give back to the community like I want to by creating different financial literacy programs creating different scholarship funds uh, for at-risk youth and really, really start to pour back into the community and give my time to that. But I know I have to really be in a great financial position to do it um, because, you know, if I'm not, then I'll be working and spending a lot of time working in businesses versus on businesses. And then it'll just take a lot of time away from that. So yeah, my main goal is to be making a million dollars a month. Um, and really just have ultimate time freedom. That's great. That's great. Um, that, that's definitely great. So how would you say, you know, just to wrap it up, like your faith, like in God has helped you with all the different things, whether it's managing a business, you know, setting these higher goals, accomplish it, you know, you have people looking up to you. How do you manage all of that with your faith? Yeah. It was huge, man. Like, so just to take a step back, you know, I mentioned earlier how I grew up and I was, I lacked a lot of self-confidence, you know, I was very shy. I was very, very reserved. Um, and that really hindered me. It hindered me in a lot of different aspects. I didn't realize growing up, I didn't realize it at all until I got a little bit older. But then, you know, as I grew closer to my faith, um, my spirituality, you know, I realized that, um, you know, if we're God's children, then, you know, 
he or she, depending on what you believe, you know, dwells within us, right? So when I when I took that perspective, it made me realize that, you know, I have no place to not be confident because, you know, I have God dwelling within me. So even further, when I look at my goals, if they don't make me scared, you know, if they don't make me, you know, stretch myself and stretch my thinking, then I'm not trying hard enough or I'm not setting, you know, big enough goals because ultimately I think a lot of people sell ourselves short because of our lack of confidence. But when I realize, you know, God is within me and and I'm entitled to, I'm entitled to, you know, his kingdom, um, I realize that I really need to set bigger goals. I really need to focus on becoming the best person I can be and pushing myself to that limit every single day because ultimately I don't know my potential. I don't know my potential and no one really knows their potential. But if you strive every day to grow at least, you know, 1%, then that'll be huge. So it was really that first thought that, you know, God is dwelling within me. So I really need to focus on setting bigger goals and being the best me I can be. Because like I mentioned earlier, you know, the better I am, the better I'm going to be able to serve others. So um, that really helped me grow into someone who's very, very confident in my abilities now today. And it's just been huge. Um, so, yeah, always, always, always that faith is huge. Like not just solely faith in God, but faith in yourself as well. And I think having faith in yourself is a direct result of having faith in God, um, or at least for me it is. So it's been huge. That, that is definitely great. Uh, so I definitely want to thank you for your time. I want you to close out like, with a word of wisdom for those who are listening and let us know where we can find you on social media and how can we get into your course. So, man, I'll leave you guys um, with, you know, the title of my favorite poem favorite poem is called the man who thinks he can and this is huge because you know a lot of people go throughout life trying different things and they doubt whether or not they can achieve them and in the end the man who wins is always the man who thinks he can so I always say you know believe in yourself you know if you're someone like me who growing up didn't have a lot of confidence really really work to have to get that confidence you know it's not it's going to be a short-term battle it's going to be a long-term battle it's going to be a marathon so really you know put one foot in front of the other every single day and work on it because ultimately if you don't believe in yourself you're never going to get to where you want to go um it doesn't matter how many people believe in you if you don't believe in yourself it's always you're always going to limit yourself and you're always going to you're always going to sell yourself short so the first thing is always belief in yourself. Um, but you can find me on social media, on Instagram at The Infamous CPA, as well as Twitter at The Infamous CPA. Um, and if you go to theinfamouscpa.com, you'll be able to access all of my courses on the car rental business, on getting started in real estate by house hacking, as well as if you have a digital product you want to monetize, um, you can purchase my course. It's called Monetize Your Gift, where I basically laid out, you know, how I made 170K in digital products, sales, and what has it been? A little over a year. Um, so, yeah, all of that is going to be at the infamouscpa.com. Um, otherwise, you know, definitely, definitely check me out on Twitter. Check me out on Instagram. I'm always sharing the process with real estate, uh, especially in my stories, as well as now I'm getting into reels. 
So yeah, check all that out. I also have a lot of free resources on my website. You know, if you need help managing your money, you can download my free monthly budget spreadsheet. I also have a spreadsheet on there to help you track your net worth, which is huge because a lot of people, they don't even know what their net worth is, right? Uh, so um, I also have another spreadsheet, you know, if you're trying to get out of credit card debt and all these are free, um, <clears throat> I have a credit card debt tracker. So you can, you know, actively manage how you're going to pay off credit card debt. But, you know, downloading is just one one part of the process. You really got to make sure to utilize it. So if you're going to download it, actually utilize it, actually make sure you're growing in that regard. Um, oh, and I also have on my website a free book, Google Drive. So it's about, I don't even know how many books are in there now, but it's tons of books on real estate, personal finance, finance, stock market, um, leadership, personal development and growth. All of those are free resources on my website. So make sure to check those out at theinfinitecpa.com. Thank you very much for your time. Definitely a pleasure to get to know you and understand how you was able to scale in multiple businesses. And I hope for those who are listening, I hope you guys took a few gems and stay tuned for the next week episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.